Welcome to the Big Balance Podcast with your host, Brian. And John. Do, 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 ding do, dong, ding dong. <laughs> That's me singing. You're listening to The Big Balance, the podcast for anybody looking for clear, simple advice they can actually apply. Give us a little of your time each week, and we'll help you figure out work, life, and everything in between. So here we are at the time of recording. It is getting towards the end of summer. Fall is almost here. Like many people, I'm thinking towards the end of the year when it comes to things like deadlines and due dates. This is the time of year where we all think we have a lot of time left, but we really don't. John, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, the only thing I disagree with what you said is that the fall is right around the corner because going outside today, it was muggy as all hell and i can't imagine that there's any end in sight it global warming it's like swimming through the air yeah, yeah. Dude. i said it's like having a like a long sleeve t-shirt on at all times even though i'm in a t-shirt and shorts this is a great time to uh to take a trip to canada yeah, i would take a trip anywhere would cold to. well speaking of the cold weather and thinking ahead to the end of the year one thing i'll say about remote work and i think we've made it very clear on this show that I'm a fan. You're a fan. Yeah. But there is one small part of office life that I miss. The annual Christmas party. For our company, it's essentially a day-long party that went a little bit harder than an office party probably has any right to. It was a good time. I only got to experience one year in person, but it, it was a good time. Well, let me ask you this. Do you remember the talent show that we used to run? Of course. I was told it was a, a staple. It was something to always be anticipated and expected. Every Christmas, new employees had to participate in a talent show. Say what you like about cheesy office games. I always liked it. And John, I don't know if maybe you're too young for this. Technically, I'm too young for this. It's kind of like anybody who goes to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time <laughs> and what they have to do as an initiation. You ever do that? Let's do the time warp, man. Exactly. I can speak from experience that first-timers do, in fact, have to perform a talent. I don't think many would be surprised to learn that I played guitar. Duh. It's boring. I See, that was... Ch I felt that was very cheap of you. You're a musician. That's That was not a stretch for you to oh, do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't sing normally, so I, I did sing with that one. So at least there's that. I said it before, and I'll say it again. I want to see you with a ukulele. You seem like the kind of white dude with a ukulele that could just shred it. <laughs> I don't think I will ever pick up a ukulele in earnest. Even though the talent show was a requirement for first-timers, long-term employees did get involved a lot, and the senior VP that runs our group has one talent that he busts out every year, and that is that he is great at juggling. Now, anybody who's listened to this show for really any amount of time knows I'm a fan of analogies, and I think juggling is a perfect analogy for multitasking, and why I think it is utter BS. Everyone wants to be good at multitasking, and every employer seeks out candidates who have this amazing ability. Of all the transferable skills out there that make their way into roles and responsibilities lists, Multitasking has to be in the top five, alongside things like ability to work under pressure or in a fast-paced environment. It makes sense, right? We're all stretched too thin and have to split our attention among too many small things that all get bunched up into one giant headache by the end of the day. If only we could get a little bit better at multitasking, 
maybe we could put out some of these small fires one after the other. But what if I told you that multitasking was a myth? Not only that, what if you were actually doing more harm than good by even trying? How would you respond? And more importantly, what could you do to course correct? So juggling as an analogy for multitasking seems like a pretty clear link. A new juggler can keep maybe, let's say, three balls in the air at once. A great juggler can manage to keep six up there. But whether you're keeping three, six, or more balls in the air, one thing is always true. You can only have one ball in a hand at a time. Each time you add a ball, you have to throw the whole set a little higher in the air, spending less time with each one. So let's talk about the time a ball is in hand, the time we're actively in contact with it. Back in episode 5, we discussed how some tasks need to happen in the moment while others don't. The goal then was to set aside anything that either didn't need to happen in the moment or that we could automate away, thus helping us become more efficient. But a lot of what we do each day does require hands-on time. In fact, I would say the majority of things that we do at work require our constant attention. A couple easy examples come to mind. Let's say I need to draft an email and do some analysis in a spreadsheet. That's two balls in the air. But I only have one keyboard and one set of eyes, and I have to pick which one I do in a given moment. Or maybe I need to have an internal strategy session with my team, but I also have a client meeting to hammer out some details of a project. Again, two balls in the air, but I can only speak and listen to one group at a time. And this is where the multitaskers come out of the woodwork. And stop me if you've heard this before. Well, it's easy. You know, you write your email while you're on one of the calls so you can get work done while you don't have to speak or listen. That sounds great on paper, but it just never works out this way. In fact, you're going to do worse at both tasks. And studies have proven this out. You can absolutely tell when someone is drafting an email on a call or trying to multitask, especially when we're sharing our videos or sharing our screen, whatever. I've done it and I will continue to do it. It's not best practice, but I will also advise against it. It's it's so obvious and sometimes it's very, very disrespectful. You know what my favorite thing is here? And I'm sure there's a thousand of these, but this one is is my personal favorite of how it's so... We all know it. It's so obvious, but somebody will be talking at length, probably a little bit boring, tends to happen, and they'll ask somebody a question and there'll be a pause and they'll say, uh, uh, my internet cut out. Could you repeat that? And it's like, <laughs> really, Susan, your internet cut out for the last five minutes of this conversation. You re- You recall none of it. Really? For all of my folks out there who wear glasses, you can tell sometimes when someone is switching between the presentation versus if they're looking at another screen because the tint on their glasses or the reflection turns into a different hue. I can tell when people have clicked away from the presentation and are just like checking their email or going on Facebook, whatever. It's it's very funny to me. John, I... I'm a glasses wearer, and I have never considered considered that. And when I say I'm a glasses wearer, yeah, I I I have these big old hipster glasses too. So (laughs) it's probably glaringly obvious when I do that. Thank you for telling. Oh, first, this is kind of like somebody has food in their teeth, and you wait an hour to tell them. I've probably been doing this for months now thinking I'm clever. You're also a dual monitor type person, though, right? I'm a three monitor person these days. I've never noticed it with you, 
but you'll notice it when you're clicking between different screens on your your main monitor. So the one that I'm looking at and the one that yeah, my camera's output is from, that's when you'll notice it when you're clicking between screens. So for you, I, I'm sure I can tell that you're looking at a different monitor, but it's not anything to where I can tell you're just blatantly like playing solitaire or something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, back to the topic at hand. Let's start with a guy named Earl Miller, a neuroscience professor at MIT who makes a distinction I think is really valuable to keep in mind for this conversation. Point blank, Miller says that, hey, our brains aren't designed to multitask. And what we're actually doing is something called task switching, which really is our brains moving very rapidly between two different things. And this is because certain activities just use the same parts of the brain as each other. The aforementioned phone call while writing an email, there's a lot of overlap between the parts of the brain that contribute to each of those two things. And he ran some tests with the help of an MRI scanner to prove it out. So John, imagine I give you two numbers. And I ask you to tell me which one is numerically greater. So one is greater than two, three is greater than four. How do you think you Wait, would do with that task? One is greater than two, two is greater than three. Shouldn't it be two is greater than one? Oh, God damn it. Why do I always, <laughs> every time, this is this is the lemons out of lemonade thing I just, all over again. I do pretty well. I think I did pretty good right there, right? Did I pass the test? <laughs> oh, God. Can I stop podcasting now? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get. You're the, you're the sole host of this show now. <laughs> and it literally, it's just my half of the recording, so I'm still having a conversation with you. The listener just <laughs> doesn't hear the other half, so all they hear is me go, "Yeah, no, I agree with that point, Brian." <laughs> so basically, I am Tyler Durden. Yes, yes. You know what? A conversation with myself, a podcast from the Big Balance Media Company. Yes. All right. Well, circling back. John is confident he knows that two is greater than one, inexplicably, and three is also greater than four. Second no, question. It's not. Four is greater than three. God damn it. <laughs> oh. I'm having a really rough day. <laughs> it's okay. It is okay. I, I, I'm here to help, and I'm going to tell you right now four is greater than three, so we can put that one to bed. Big edition podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The big map. Moving on. I'm not even going to touch that one again. We're just going to keep going. Next question. Imagine I ask you to compare the physical size of the numbers. So the font on the left, maybe it's 12 point, is bigger than the font on the right, maybe it's 8 point. Probably, John, I would assume you could do that for me as well. I, I would be pretty good at that. Yeah. Now, what if you had to do both? In other words, let's say I asked you to pick the numerically greater number if the pair is red. But if the pair is green, I want you to tell me which is the larger font. When a test subject focuses on one and only one task, they keep a pretty good pace, much better, in fact, than I did three seconds ago. <laughs> but when you ask them to do both at the same time, the MRI scans show that the brain has to pause between each set, thinking about what color it sees and shifting instructions appropriately each time there's a significant amount of lag in this switching this to me is the equivalent of rubbing your stomach and patting yourself on the top of the head at the same time it's very interesting it to me it's a manifestation of that rhythm that we try to keep physically but you're now doing it in your brain very interesting i'm gonna be honest i'm afraid to even try to do that after that counting fiasco 
So I, I can do it, but you doing not it right very now? Well, I'm doing it now in case we can't hear my you know the, my shirt being rustled. But it's it's yeah. I'm, I'm I can still do that, but I feel like I don't do it well. All right. Well, here's your your task is to do that the entire rest of the episode. How about okay, that? Cool. Yep. Maybe I can keep up with you if that actually happens. Jeez, where did I... I can hear that. <laughs> I know, I was doing that on purpose. <laughs> now, this all goes to say that multitasking isn't helpful. Correct, yeah. So the idea here, and proven out by the American Psychological Association, multitasking actually takes up 40% more time than focusing on one task at a time. And that number only gets worse as task complexity rises. Now, not surprisingly... Most research also shows that the number of errors is going to jump up dramatically when you're multitasking, too. Now, all this goes to show that multitasking isn't helpful, but what if I said it was actually harmful to your brain? Turns out, it is, and in a few different ways. We wire our brains to be distracted when we try to multitask. Stanford ran some experiments that showed that heavy multitaskers are severely less able to purposefully disregard irrelevant inputs. Their ability to recall memories, also worse off. And one that I thought was kind of fun, apparently multitasking lowers your IQ by as much as 15 points, according to the University of London, meaning multitaskers, if they're really heavy, have the, this is, this is a, a fun way to put it in context, have the cognitive ability of a quote-unquote eight-year-old. This is where I have some questions, Brian. How, how can we measure this IQ reduction? And at what point do we bottom out? Because based on this reasoning, I think I'm pretty damn close to, to bottoming out <laughs> based on how often I multitask. Well, that's, that's the thing, right? And we're going to get into this a little bit later, but there's a very real impact that, if this is true, has to have on our jobs and also the organizations that we work for, right? And... The, the call for multitasking is so ubiquitous everywhere, literally everywhere. Every job, one of the, the core tenants is always, hey, we want multitaskers. We want people who can yep. handle the hustle day in and day out. Well, if everybody lauds this ability as the gold standard of standard operating procedure, you got to wonder if multitasking really does take up 40% more time, if it does dumb us down to the level of eight-year-old, and we're all trying to do more of it, what does that mean for our actual productivity? What does that mean for the amount of work we actually get done every day? Now, I know what a lot of people might be thinking, hey, it's a switch I can flip on and off. If I just stop multitasking, I won't have to deal with this slower thinking. I won't have to deal with this inability to work away irrelevant inputs. But According to the University of Sussex, another research study, the effects of multitasking might be permanent, with MRI scans showing less brain density in the, and I'm going to probably mess up how this is pronounced, but anterior cingulate cortex, which, among other things, is going to, for anybody taking notes at home, have long-term impacts on attention allocation, reward anticipation, decision-making, a fun one, ethics and morality, and impulse control. We are hardwired to just believe and assume that multitasking is a requirement, a prerequisite of anything that we do. And based on what you're telling me right now, Brian, good to know that I've just been slowly just reducing my mental capacity day in and day out. Great. 
Yeah. <laughs> and those things I mentioned, they're kind of big deals. You know, if anybody said, do you think it's a good thing to be good at decision making or to have ethics and a sense of morality? Those are kind of big deals for us as uh, as people and a society. So, yeah, it's not good. Not, not good things to have to deal with. And the biggest problem of all, bar none, a certain percentage of people listening to this episode right now have no idea how bad multitasking is because they're browsing Facebook or texting a friend while listening to us and they haven't been paying attention because they're bad at multitasking. So I'm going to summarize all this and break it down really simply. Number one, multitasking is a myth. Our brains aren't wired to do it and we're less efficient when we try. And two, multitasking is actually really bad for us, and it leads to potentially lasting cognitive problems. So where do we go from here? After the break, we're going to talk about what we can do to walk back our quest for multitasking and how we can focus on things that matter to get stuff actually done. We know multitasking does more harm than good, but now what? It's still considered a really highly valuable skill, and most of us can't easily get away from it. It's built into our job descriptions. In looking around for solutions, it seems like everyone has the same ideas on this topic. Some you can implement on your own, while others might require working with your bosses or your coworkers to really make them stick. The first one's easy, although bad for you and me, John. Turn off immediate personal distractions. If you're at work right now and you're writing emails, like we talked about, you're using the same part of your brain as you are listening to me talk. So by all means, put me on pause and come back when you're ready for a bit of a break. Brian, this goes against exactly what I talked about in episode three. So I want to say jury's out because some studies said that you can turn off that active listening part of your brain and just hear it and enjoy it music is a constant in my house, so I've grown used to just turning off that part of my brain that is always listening to music. I hear it, but I don't listen to it. So, well, there's, no, you bring up a good point, and there's really two ways to think about this, too. If you're listening to music, and this is part of these studies as well, if you're listening to music that does not have lyrics, you're not using the part of your brain that is involved in understanding speech. So, writing an email while listening to a symphony that's not going to be a disruption the way that listening to a lyric-heavy song would be. And if it's a song that you've listened to a thousand times, lyrics you know by heart, maybe you can compartmentalize that a bit better and not necessarily listen and tune it out. Yeah, no, that's I, I think that's it. Yeah, hitting the nail on the head there. For another easy-ish step, pre-plan. What are the top three most important things that you can get done today? There's a dozen things we could do, but if we had to pick just three, what are they? Next, if you had to pick out two blocks of time, one in the morning and one in the afternoon that you could wall off, what would they be? So these are times when we're already the least likely to be interrupted by other people or tasks or reminders. And isn't that exactly what Microsoft Office is trying to do with us right now with uh, Cortana and all of that? They say, maybe you should block off some time for focus time. The tools are there, right? So try to start using them. 
I don't know what Microsoft's trying to do with me lately, but apparently Cortana or whatever other performance enhancing programs Microsoft has puts on actual blocks of time in your calendar, basically for focus time. And it put time on my calendar saying, hey, here's a good spot for focus for you. It's 3 a.m. In the, it's 3 in the morning is your time to focus <laughs> on your job. That, really, Microsoft? Thank you. That's funny. So uh, a little feature, if you'd schedule that out and it puts it on your calendar, on Teams, it'll show your status as no longer being busy or in a meeting. It'll say focusing. So, Oh, um, really? Yeah. No, that's hilarious that Microsoft has decided that 3 a.m. is a good time for you. Uh, what is it keeping track of your habits or something like that? What are you doing on the laptop at three in the morning? Get off. Man. I am don't, don't sleeping. Go work. Don't work at 3 a.m. <laughs> I can't stand those people who send emails out at like three in the morning. Uh, <laughs> at the risk of delving into her business. My wife has, uh, and many companies do, uh, they have some resources overseas, in her case in India. And That's a completely they... different story. Uh, if you're getting an email at three from your offshore analyst, I get that. Well, here's the thing, though. She got a calendar invite for a meeting at 7.30 in the morning for a meeting that was going to take place at 8 o'clock when her workday starts at 8.30. And that's just rude. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. No. The next in the order of difficulty is turning off professional distractions. I get plenty of email notifications, but most can afford, honestly, to wait for an hour or two. Anyone who needs an immediate response probably is going to call me or chat me. So I'm not going to check my email all day. I don't even want to have my email client open. See, this one's hard for me because I constantly have anxiety about the number in my inbox. And I always want to know when new emails come in so I can close it out. Tall ask, Brian. I don't know, but I'll give it a shot. See, I think it feels like a tall ask, but at the end of the day, it probably is. Yeah, I, I'm because there's plenty of emails that I don't even necessarily see. Easy example: there are many days, and I forget what episode we did uh, fighting back against pointless meetings. It might have been episode two or three. Don't remember. But we've all been in situations where we have back-to-back meetings all day. I know there's times people have asked me for things that I don't even see for hours and the world doesn't fall apart. I don't get fired. Work still gets done. Everybody leaves at the end of the day very happy. So I know logically that things can be put on pause. It is really just a, a mental thing where we feel like it's almost like a corporate version of FOMO, really. And isn't that a little bit sad? <laughs> So let's talk through those people who are reaching out to us via phone, via chat, as this is going to be a little harder still, since we're asking people to play ball with us. Set time to be distraction-free. Mark it in your calendar as busy. If anybody asks you for anything, tell them politely but firmly, I'll reach out to you in a couple hours to talk through your need. Don't interrupt a big thing you're working on to deal with all the small stuff that can wait. Finally, speaking of calendaring time, let's rethink the way we use our calendar. What I'm trying to do more, just like we talked about with Cortana doing for us automatically, filling specific blocks for focus time. How hardcore we want to be with this can vary. Sometimes I leave those blocks classified as free so people can schedule meetings over it if they need to. Other times I'll block it off as busy. However steadfast you want to be, make it a personal point to do this. So all these points combined can be summed up pretty simply. Prioritize focus, tackle things one at a time, and make room in your day that allows for this focused approach. Now the problem is, well, our coworkers and bosses, 
may still be sold on this multitasking myth. So if our process doesn't jive with their process, we're introducing friction into our relationships. And I don't have an immediate answer here, but ultimately, I don't know if this is a problem that we can really solve from the bottom up. I think it's going to take more of a top-down approach. Organizational leaders need to recognize that this is a long-revered skill that we all want, but none of us is really having any success at achieving. It's actually quite damaging. It's damaging to our productivity and to our minds as well. Nobody benefits. A commentator that I watch on YouTube, an ongoing joke is the fact that he used frictionless in an interview he did talking about um, a tech startup or whatever that he was working on. So uh, the goal is always to be frictionless when working. So yeah, keep that in mind as you're trying out these new methods to prioritize your day, right? Maybe a, a good episode in the future is... Well, I guess there's already plenty of literature on how to win friends and influence people, but between the cutting down on meaningless meetings and fighting back against multitasking, a lot of the topics that we're covering in this show, yeah, there's things that an individual can do on their own, but a lot of this needs to be convincing those around and more importantly above us that these are important things too. And again, I don't have the answers for that, but definitely somewhere we probably should go. If you can find a team that maybe can put together a consolidated effort to try these things, maybe that's the way you do it. All right, well, there you have it for another episode of the Big Balance Podcast. Hope everybody was paying attention and got some good information from this. Otherwise, if you were busy writing emails while listening to me, go back, listen again. And be sure to make sure you sign your name at the top of the quizzes that we're going to be distributing at the end of this episode to make sure you were listening. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.